During the COVID-19 crisis, there have been a firm list of rules that we should all abide by in order to defeat the virus. Staying inside as much as possible, only going out for essentials. Practicing physical distancing, which is at least two meters or six feet apart from one another, staying away from the elderly except to deliver food and supplies, and washing hands often and thoroughly for at least 20 seconds under warm to hot water. The term flatten the curve relates to the number of coronavirus cases on a graph, and if we can get that graph to flatten, we'd be on our way to defeating the virus while scientists and doctors find a viable treatment and vaccine. Still, getting the world to listen isn't easy. You'll always have the smart people. Those are the people who will be first to recognize the seriousness of the crisis and immediately start following the rules. Then you'll get the snail people, slow to getting on board, dragging their heels, but eventually cooperating. And lastly, the complete village idiots who, despite knowing there's a pandemic, despite knowing the life and death situation we are all under, will continue to go about their day ignoring safety precautions in the name of their so-called freedom or because they think they're more intelligent than actual doctors and scientists. It's a combination of stupidity mixed with exceptionalism, thinking it'll never happen to them until someone they know has it. These are the people who screw it up for everybody. So, I was intrigued a few weeks back when it was reported that Tom Hanks was infected with the coronavirus while filming in Australia. Don't get me wrong here, I don't wish any harm on Tom Hanks, but since he is such a world-famous beloved public figure, by him getting infected, it brought this virus home to a lot of people on the fence and shook them up. Now, I'm glad him and his wife, Rita Wilson, recovered from it and are doing well. I'm also glad this helped people who thought they were above catching it start taking this virus more seriously. Even though Hanks was luckily not hit hard by COVID-19, many, many people are getting hit hard. And reports from those stricken are this sickness is the heaviest and weirdest feeling they've ever experienced. The death rate should prove just how dangerous it is. Still, I was struck by Hanks's calmness and poise through it all, and I felt this calmed a world fast-approaching panic mode. So I uploaded a Tom Hanks graphics interchange format, or a GIF or GIF as it is commonly known, to relay how impressed I was of him during his COVID-19 predicament taken from one of my favorite movies of all time and, in my opinion, Hanks's best movie, Bachelor Party. I immediately got a good response from other fellow fans, including one Mr. Todd Kearns, and we cooked up this episode you're about to listen to, just two guys brought together by their mutual love of Bachelor Party. Bachelor Party is the story of six friends who celebrate the engagement of their one friend by throwing a bachelor party to end all bachelor parties. It's a pretty simple premise that, from the outside, fits right into the usual standard 80s oversexed comedies that littered the decade. However, Bachelor Party is a step above all of them. Yes, Hanks carries the movie here with such comedic deafness that's undeniable, but the writing 
is impeccable with a nonstop barrage of locker room jokes and gags, with memorable scene after memorable scene relentlessly hitting the viewer, it turns into cinematic art. It's the only movie that has suggested bestiality, transsexual sex, proctology, bondage, literal ass-kissing, lesbian sex shows, attempted murder, attempted kidnapping, drinking and driving, topless nuns, car theft, pimps, prostitutes, vandalism, cocaine-sniffing donkeys, penises and hot dog buns, and Tom Hanks dancing to Adrian's Med singing all in the same movie. I mean, as I'm listing it all here, I can't help but think that this just might be the greatest movie ever made. However, when it comes to ranking comedy films, Praise always goes to the same usual lot. I'm talking Beverly Hills Cop, Trading Places, Caddyshack, A Fish Called Wanda, Tootsie, Mrs. Doubtfire, Ace Ventura, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, The Naked Gun, Borat, Life of Brian, Ghostbusters, Blazing Saddles, Animal House, Airplane, Spinal Tap, Austin Powers, and Vacation. But Bachelor Party? Bachelor Party? Bachelor Party is better than all of them. And within Tom Hanks' own extensive filmography, it is never recognized. Instead, Hanks has received praise for his roles in films like Splash, Forrest Gump, Philadelphia, Big, Saving Private Ryan, The Da Vinci Code, You've Got Mail, The Terminal, Apollo 13, A League of Their Own, Sleepless in Seattle, and Catch Me If You Can. But Bachelor Party? Bachelor Party is the greatest film he ever made. And the film came out in 1984. If Hanks had done nothing else after this film, he would rank even higher as one of the greatest comedic actors of all time, simply for his role here as Rick Gasco in Neil Israel's Bachelor Party. Maybe you're thinking I'm talking this movie up to a point where it will underwhelm, but anyone who thinks that has yet to see it. And Todd Kearns, singer-guitarist in Took, bassist for Slash in his featuring Miles Kennedy and the co-conspirators band, playing bass and singing with Bruce Kulick and Brent Fitz for Kiss Cruises, and of course, Age of Electric knows just how incredible Bachelor Party is. This is Todd's second appearance on the podcast in less than a year. He was on episode 205, where we talked about his great band, Tuke, and their new album, Never Enough. But this episode is just two guys talking about Bachelor Party while in self-isolation. Yeah, it's getting weird as the weeks go by, but in my world, getting weird means getting better. As I've stated before, I'm going weekly with these podcasts while we all self-isolate. So another one will be hitting your ears in seven days. I hope you're digging them as much as I'm digging making them. If it helps you forget about the current crisis we're under for an hour, then my job is done here and I'm very, very glad. Let's spend another hour together, shall we? Todd Kearns is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. They play the kid as Danko's go out to love for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes give me in from fuck to stop playing hang to do. When the weather is bad and there's nothing much.
much do Take a listen, would you now To what Danko Jones would do It's the middle of the night And you better do it fast Turn the speakers up loud For Danko's podcast Ladies and gentlemen Boys and girls, get ready Because the Danko Jones podcast Starts now How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good, Todd. Great to hear your voice, man. You too. Crazy times. Crazy times indeed. How, how are you keeping up during this whole crisis? Well, I struggle as I might. I think I'm getting in about 12 hours of TV a day. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, this is the first time in my life, I'm assuming in yours, I think it probably everybody's that yeah. the entire yeah. world is just shut down. Like yeah. I talked to friends in Australia, Japan, Europe, you know, it's like everything is just, you know, everybody's just sitting at home watching fucking Mr. Robot or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. We're back to the party. <laughs> oh, exa- exactly, man. Like that, this is crazy. But, um, you know, I wanted to talk to you about this because... You know, at the top of the whole crisis, Tom Hanks got it in Australia, and got onto this in the first place. (laughs) Yeah, and he did. He, I think, he was so great and and gracious, like you know, trying to calm everyone down, and and uh, you know, I I I think I uploaded a clip or a GIF or a GIF from bachelor party where he's like at the tennis courts and Cleveland wins the pennant and stuff, (laughs) and you responded, and then we got to talking about it, and then. We came up with this uh, idea for this episode, which is you and me get together and we talk about Bachelor Party, one of, if not the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> I love, uh, you, that's going to be in your tombstone someday, you know. <laughs> so Jones loved Bachelor Party, his favorite Tom <laughs> Hanks film. <laughs> so, so what, what, what is your relationship with Bachelor Party? Why do you love it so much? Well, I think I was the perfect age. I mean, it's so funny in watching it now. I remember reading this um, when the new Joker movie came out. Todd Phillips did it. And he said, I don't want to do comedy right now because it's so hard to do anything that doesn't sort of trigger everybody. You know what I mean? And it's so hard yeah. to do anything. And in that world of sort of, on PC and kind of like pushing the envelope here and there. And then to watch a movie from 1984 and go, Oh wow, there's no, <laughs> there's yeah. no limitations on this at all in so in every possible way that if you were to release a movie like that today, uh, <laughs> I don't know how that would fly to be honest. I mean, it's really not that different. I mean, especially back then, uh, if, if, if you try and watch these movies with somebody like 20 years younger than you, it, it's it's completely insane to them, but you know when you think of Porky's and you think of all those sort of raunchy comedies, yeah, it's yeah. pretty. I mean, actually, Bachelor Party's pretty kid gloves about it, really. I mean, compared to like some of the really raunchy stuff, but um, you know, I was the perfect age, I guess, when it came out. And to be honest, when you talk about Tom Hanks, I think my frame of reference is so it's so interesting to have been kind of like with him that early on do you know what i mean like not like i was with him like a friend of his but like to have followed him from i don't know what your first recollection of him is but i first remember him being 
Meredith Baxter, Bernie's brother yep. on Family Ties. Yep, same here. He was, and, uh, and he was a hardcore alcoholic. Yeah, and he and was really young. You know, Alex looked up to him. Yeah, he was hard not to look up to him. He was very funny. He was had a real Tom Hanks quality. <laughs> 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 a very likable guy, but he was a severe alcoholic. I remember, I specifically remember the line being like. Like um, Michael J. Fox comes downstairs in the middle of the night or whatever to get a drink of milk or whatever. And um, Tom Hanks' character is like rummaging through the pantry and he and he finds like I, – I, I can't remember exactly what the line was. But it was something like you're too good to sit here and uh, – to sit here and have – not uh, – you're too good to not sit here and have a glass of maraschino cherries with your uncle or something like that. <laughs> he was drinking maraschino cherry <laughs> juice for the alcohol. I was like – that's a pretty funny line for, you know, for as dark a subject as that is. But yeah, yeah, he was such a likable, you know, likable guy that like when I saw, I'm not sure if I saw Bachelor Party or that first, but it's certainly around the same time because he's about the same age. And then to watch him go, you know, and become like America's sweetheart is kind of not that surprising from just like the likability factor of just like, the camera loved that guy. Just everything he said, you were like, 100%. I get it, totally. He's funny. He's naturally funny, naturally charming, and totally makes sense. And uh, and then he, from Family Ties, I, I noticed that he got his big role in Bosom Buddies. Right, and, of course. Yeah. And that was like a heavy thing. And then, of course, uh, the year that Bachelor Party came out, uh, Splash came out, and that I think was his breakthrough movie role. I mean, I he, read, he's had several yeah. breakthroughs, but but this was the first, I think. It's funny because I read, you know, of course, in my research for this conversation, <laughs> which basically was me just kind of Wikipediaing as I was watching the movie, going like, "What is it?" Because it's, so, it's funny watching the Bachelor Party movie because you're kind of like, "Well, there's Tawny Katane, yeah, yeah, there's Tom Hanks." And a whole lot of people I, I don't think, well, except Adrian Zamed, that I've not seen in any other context, or I can't remember them in any other context. But um, it was interesting looking at, apparently Tom had done a, a one-off spot on Happy Days that Ron Howard liked him and, and decided to cast him in, in uh, Splash. So you're like, oh, wow, it's funny how those connections all come together. Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't know that. That's amazing. I didn't know. I don't remember Tom Hanks being on on Happy Days, but, uh, you know, back then I may not have put that all together. Yeah, there's all those – there's so many so many TV shows and so many guest stars and everybody was in and out. It, he, Like he said, he, he always made a good impression and I – see, the thing is because – my entry point is Family Ties, Bosom Buddies, and Bachelor Party. I've always felt that the Tom Hanks that the whole world knows, a la Philadelphia Story, Forrest Gump, Castaway, nobody really, or maybe everyone forgets or maybe nobody knows, that Tom Hanks is such an incredible comedic actor and Bachelor Party is really where he shines because there is a no, it's, this movie is nonstop one-liners. It just never it's relentless. Well, I, I honestly I don't think I ever let go of that particular Tom Hanks throughout this streamline of all the other characters he played. Yeah. I yeah. I sort of still saw that guy inside yeah. whatever character he was playing. You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like it's almost kind of like the character from Bachelor Party is now in his forties right. or in his 
these, and he's not that wacky young kid anymore, but he's, you still get him a couple of drinks and he'll turn into that guy, no problem. Exactly. Yeah, I, you know what? I think I have a very similar approach to him as well when I watch him today. Um, because he's at that, he has that likability factor in basically every character he plays. I, I think he attempted um, some sort of like uh, – I'm trying to think if he ever tried playing a villain in anything or sort of the heavier or – Mm. Was it uh, was it Redemption Road? He played a little bit of a heavy. I can't remember. I, I it's been so long since I really kind of like uh, wrapped my head around that. But he's he has that thing where he's just so likable. It's hard to imagine him being a bad guy. I think maybe yeah. he should try. Maybe he should try being like a, I don't know a Spider Man villain or something. <laughs> that could be challenging for him because I I agree. He's so likable. In here, but he's also that thing about some of those villains is. Sometimes we love the villain, you know, because he's so engaging, um, but, you know, he's a bad guy kind of thing. So I don't know if that, maybe that's, you know what, Tom Hanks doesn't need career advice from me, so he could do whatever he wants. Well, I, I think, I, I mean, there, same with you, like in, in getting ready for this uh, chat with you about the movie, I watched it and uh, I loved watching it again. I mean, I've seen it countless times. I haven't seen it in a very, very long time, but could could anticipate every single line and I knew what was coming up still. So it was great. There's, like you said, watching it in 2020 context, some of the topics that they bring up in the movie are just so taboo, like bestiality. They make light of suicide. There's that 17-year-old Korean girl joke that he tells at the <laughs> The future oh, in-laws uh, luncheon. It's. I mean, it's just nonstop. Yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, we're looking to adopt. I've got my eye on this 17 year old <laughs> Korean girl. He says, "Good lord." Yeah, you're like, you're like, as you're watching it, you're just kind of like giggling but cringing, like, "Oh well, can't watch that with the, uh, you know, with with the gang." But the, yeah, but yeah. it's kind of the nature of any of those shows. Like I said, like um, any sort of wacky, raunchy show back then would have been you know questionable it's uh i mean the uh the east east indian pimp the whole thing is just this su super like over the top like cliche yeah. uh comedy but at the time it was sort of like it was what it was you know what i mean like yeah. and that's the fascinating thing about it is is i'm tr you know objectively watching it and going it's always interesting to me to see how these things kind of get greenlit. You know, it's kind of like there's always going to be a market. Um, I don't wonder, is that even like 84? I guess that's renter's market. I mean, people were renting, we were renting movies by then, weren't we? Or yeah. Or is that still pretty oh, early? Yeah. Days for, oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember I, I saw kinda, I saw Bachelor Party uh, when a friend rented it for the first time. Oh, I saw it. I saw it in the movie theater, dude. That's That's how crazy, you know, I lived in a small town. So whatever came, we just went and saw. Right. So, um... You know, I, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, I mean, there's taking a step back and looking at the, uh, the overall story in and of itself is actually, there's this sort of pseudo heartwarming thread that goes throughout it, which is basically the idea that he's getting married. It has this sort of like, I don't know, Billy Madison kind of, uh, this play of like, he's kind of a loser but he's marrying up. His girlfriend comes from a seemingly rich family and he's kind of wearing Chuck Taylor. You know, he's just like basically a standard regular guy, but he's made to seem like he's just this super like 
edgy, down and out kind of guy because he wears Chuck Taylors and cargo shorts every day <laughs> you know, and drives a school bus. He's basically Otto from The Simpsons in <laughs> in real life. But uh, but the, 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 the heart of the whole thing is this idea that he, you know, his friends decide to throw a raunchy, you know, super over the top cliche uh, bachelor party. But and he is tempted in every possible way. But when you really kind of like objectively pay attention to his character throughout it, he really doesn't even partake in no. the party itself. He seems to be having a beer <laughs> now and then kind of like and then it almost sort of like the lesson that he's learned throughout the entire thing is like, you know what? All of this is you could tell like like watching the 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 uh, an actual story about that character like five years later would be like, oh, that was just a wacky time. And then he's totally like that moment was his moment of like, you know what? None of this is for me. I, uh, you know, all the girls and all the stuff. I love my my uh, my woman and we're going to settle down. And, and that was it. It was kind of like this very nice little thread throughout the entire thing about that. And, and what, what I found so interesting was the, the movie's called Bachelor Party, but the party doesn't get started until an hour into the movie. And the movie's like an hour and a half long. That's funny. I never even really thought about that. Well, I suppose that, you know, you've got to build up to it. There's a there's a lot of uh, confusion with the uh, the prostitutes going to the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. That scene, every scene is, is so classic. I mean, breaking down each scene as I watch them, like, this scene's amazing. And then the next one is, this is even better. And then it just keeps going and building and building. The scene where the two hookers show up to the shower or the bridal oh, like, party. Yeah. I, and, and I have to say, I've always had a crush on one of the hookers who showed up. The one. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose to make it clear is an actress, not an actress. Oh, yeah. yeah the <laughs> actress who, who played the hooker, who was the one who was shaking her butt. Uh, oh, right hilarious. before they uh, they do it, um, I always had a crush. Well, on it would have had quite an impact on young young men watching a film of that nature. Uh, you know, no matter what, you know what I mean. No matter what, and of course, I mean, it goes without saying, Tawny Katane. Uh, you know, she's now known as the White Snake Girl. She's the rat out of the cellar girl. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, she's like heavy metal album cover, uh, music video icon. Icon, I mean? yeah. And I, she wasn't at the time I saw it. No, I when I saw it, uh, uh, this was the first time I saw her. And then I put the out of the cellar thing together <laughs> once I figured it all out. But when I saw her, I was like immediately. Like this is the hottest woman I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> no wonder well, Rick doesn't. Uh, she certainly had like, uh, you know, like she was just like at that particular moment in the eighties. Like a, you got to take a minute and take a step back and put yourself in the, the all the other films like Valley Girl and all those movies that were going on at that time. Yeah, yeah. such a fascinatingly like specific. Uh, image that the uh, leading women would have in these things is sort of the hair. God, the hair is so big. I'm always taken aback by how big the hair is. It's, it's great. And, and and she had two uh, friends of hers who worked at her the clothing store with her, uh, oh. Phoebe and Tracy. And I always had a crush, an equal crush on Tracy, who starred in the movie Hot Dog the Movie. She was... Oh my God. Tracy Smith. She was Tracy right. in Bachelor Party. I always had a crush on her too. 
Wow, I did I didn't put that together. I remember hot dog. That was hilarious. Wow. Yeah. Not not to do a podcast about that. <laughs> you know, I've seen hot dog almost as many times as I've seen bachelor party, so I am down. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen that one in a long time. Yeah, yeah. I'd have to I go dig in. But no, that's it's funny that you say that because that was part of the interesting thing watching this film. First of all, one of my first thoughts was like, what an unusual um, collection of characters as his best friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, who put this cast together? It's just <laughs> like Gary, the guy who sells, I don't know if he's bootlegging tickets. He kind of has the, the demone factor from Fast Times. Right. You've got this kick-ass like satin police jacket on and you're like, who is this guy? First of all, he looks 10 years older than most of everybody who's there. <laughs> you're right. And he has this East Coast accent where you're like, well, how come he has that accent but nobody else seems to have that accent? It's such a mishmash of people. And and uh, uh, the guy who played Gary, is his name was Gary Grossman. It was his first acting gig. No way. Is he, he's in something else too, isn't he? I'm trying to place where – I thought he kind of like had a moment there where he played kind of that character in a few things or something. He went on to do like, you know, the standard guest starring TV sitcoms and Desperate Housewives, Judging Amy, Mad About You, Murphy Brown, Night Court kind of stuff. Interesting. Well, there yeah. you go. And he probably played very much a similar character to yeah. that because I always remember the mustache, yeah. the kind of shaggier kind of hair. Yeah. I, I mean, I, he was such a character on that. Of course, he sleeps with a with a woman who turns out to be a man, <laughs> which is like the, the most ridiculous thing imaginable. I mean, it, it, it was, I, I forgot about that scene. And when I saw it, I was like, this is, I know you can't do this now, but my God, I, I remember laughing so hard when I watched it the first time. It's it, just so ridiculous. You're, and then you start to think about like, how could this even happen without even knowing, you're right. you know, <laughs> after the fact that that had happened and then, you know, the whole thing. And then like, then he's showering in his underwear for some reason. You're like, what is that? <laughs> but I suppose when you're making a film like that, you're not, you're, no one's going to be asking these questions. It's kind of like, it just, the, the gag is just rolling out. So, you know, just, just, just keep it rolling. Just keep it, keep it slamming. But then the rest of the cast, you got your big, um, auto mechanic type, Italian kind of character. He's sort of like some sort of Jersey guy that's there. I'm not sure where was this supposed to be in Cleveland or something. I was never quite sure where, where it's placed. It seems very sort of like I don't know, just any town, any town USA kind of. Exactly. Yeah. I I, I thought I assumed California, but yeah, you're probably right. It could be anywhere. Maybe they did that on purpose. Yeah, that, but that's what was so interesting. And then they had the blonde kind of California dude. You know what I mean? Like the one blonde guy, he had a few lines. He's sort of like a shaggier kind of blonde California surfer he looking the, dude. He was the waiter who couldn't pronounce Parmesan. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like he'd never even ever heard the word. He works as a waiter in a restaurant and never heard the word Parmesan before. It's, it's like, amazing. Yeah. It's, I was doing some research on it and actually the person who was originally supposed to play that role but was stuck doing Revenge of the Nerds was Ted McGinley, who was in Married with Children and Happy Days. Of course, yeah. He was supposed to be that guy. Oh, my God. That guy is – that's exactly it. He's the poor man's Ted McGinley. Yeah, exactly. It made perfect sense that it would have been Ted McGinley. Wow, that's hilarious. Um, then, of course, the older brother who is the doctor. Yeah, <laughs> and and with married to a proctologist, of course. 
Of course. Yeah, exactly. Who actually is probably the worst behaved of the entire lot when you consider the fact that he's, you know, married yeah. with, uh, yeah. I don't know if he has a family or not, but when you watch the film, you're like, as it's going by, you're going, wow, this guy's really off the, off the charts with his behavior here. <laughs> you're, like, yeah. you're like, okay, uh, that's the nature of the movie. Right. And you can uh, really tell how dated it is when that scene where they're watching like porno movies on a film projector. Like and- an eight millimeter film. Yeah. It's <laughs> so funny. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. It's like, this is like before it would have been like routine to have gone out and got a videotape, I suppose. I don't know. It just, yeah. Just seems so funny. I, I didn't even think about that until that happened. You're like, so, oh my God. So maybe that's why Rudy was so jacked up watching it because you don't get to watch this as easily as you do now and he's screaming at the screen while uh rick's brother stan is just staring at rudy while rudy's yelling at at the the projector projector screen this level of frustration about it yeah it's just so funny and then of course we can't forget adrian zamed adrian zamed is a uh god yeah, he is that. I once I saw him backstage at Meatloaf once, and I was here in Vegas, and I was like, "Oh my God, that's Adrian Zemet. And I didn't have the kind of nerve to approach him and go like, you know, and, and annoy him. But uh, you know, it's like, hey, that's Adrian Zemet. who has a background originally in, I believe, theater and music to some degree, or maybe dancing. I'm not sure. I think he's quite musical, isn't he? Yeah, he hosted. Um, uh, what was that dance show in the '80s? Uh... Uh, right, right. Was it called the? Not. Was it dance danceateria or? Do you remember dance that? Fever. Da- yeah, it was this. It was like a TV show where everyone danced, and it was. Yeah. Uh, oh, I can't remember now. It. it it's it's oh, around the same era as like gold, uh, solid gold, and all that. Kind of. Yeah, it was like a solid gold type show, and but he more was the host. Yeah, was, that makes sense kicking ass in the 80s he had bachelor party he had that dance show and he had tj hooker and then um he was in he was in greece too with michelle pfeiffer amazing yeah Yeah. and he uh he sings a track on the bachelor party soundtrack and in the movie (laughs) little demon yeah that's the one yeah yeah. produced by rick derringer i have the album oh my god I saw Derringer's name go by when I looked at the credits. I go, oh, Rick Derringer did this? Wow, that's amazing. And there, remember the uh, the band that they bring into the hotel room? They were called... Um, Angel and the Somethings or... And the Reruns. And the Reruns. <laughs> now, were they a real band or was this just put together for the film? Or Well, in the credits, they're billed as a real band. As performed. Yeah, it says Angel herself. Yeah. Lovey, their names herself. Like, wow, who knew? And that they were produced by Rick Derringer. So Derringer had some stake. They had kind of like a B-52s kind of look to them. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was a perfect uh, house band for the uh, bachelor party that was the bachelor party. And and, then they happened to know that Zemed song, which worked out really well. (laughs) Right. (laughs) How did they get that together with zero rehearsal, man? Yeah, they had zero rehearsals. They just knew it. That's I, I mean, who knew? Like, he was like, you know... Full-time photographer, part-time rock and roll singer. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he. he, he I forgot. They start the whole thing with him being a uh, with a totally, totally questionable uh, business practice of 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 you know obsessing about shapely women with children to take photos of them. 
And then I like the way Hanks kind of runs into the shot as well. Like, hey, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and that's how the movie just starts off with that. It's the best. So, oh, that's what kind of movie this is. Here we go. Yeah. What's your favorite scene in the movie, Todd? Favorite scene? Yeah. Well, you know what's what, actually, what, what I've always remembered, even like in all the years that between watching it, there is a scene of, and it seems kind of weird in a movie just chock full of shenanigans. But one of the things that always stood out to me was Hanks by himself making a meal for Tawny Katane coming home and just kind of riffing. You can tell it's kind of like, like I don't think there would have been anybody sort of putting pen to paper as to what Hanks' character was supposed to be saying while he was making the meal. He's just kind of riffing and making dinner and just being charming Tom Hanks. And he says something about like, that's right, America's favorite food dead animal flesh or something like that <laughs> and i remember just being like wow and I, a lot of that stuff has that whole scene kind of really still stuck with me in the years between and i remember thinking like that says a lot about tom's likability and tom's character that that scene just him standing there by himself cooking a meal could 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 carry so much okay todd i'm gonna tell you something that's my favorite scene too. Wow, isn't that interesting? Because it's yeah. like, I when I, when you sort of when we just sort of talked about um, the movie, yeah, and then like I sort of went off into my life before I got to watch the movie. I I had this moment where I was thinking about the film, and that scene always comes up because it's this kind of like panning shot in, into the kitchen, and you're watching him just kind of do his thing, and you're like. And maybe as a young guy, you're thinking like, oh, I hope I could be cool like him and make make dinner for my girlfriend and, and be really charming and funny all the time. <laughs> you know, right. kind of, but I, I think it says a lot about where, you know, what someone like Ron Howard must have seen in a guy like Tom Hanks because he's so, you know, he's so likable in that scene by himself. And, and like 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 I say, it's, it's an entire film built on these tent poles of shenanigans and that's actually something that's just kind of like uh, I don't know just let him you're just you're just cooking dinner we're just and that they probably let him do his thing and they probably probably kept more than they they needed to just because he was so so good at it I I I, I agree with you on all points I think that is the scene that really shows Hanks is an incredible comedic actor an incredible actor everything and he makes something that in anyone else's hands would be so mundane and and they would probably cut it out but it's a testament like you and you and I both agree that spice time and paprika <laughs> is the most memorable part of the whole movie like even to this day when someone says paprika or you're reading a recipe and it needs paprika i go straight to bachelor party it's it's incredible that says so much i mean it really does even Isn't it yeah, sorry, I, sorry. I was watching or listening to um, – I listened to Conan O'Brien's podcast and it was a really interesting thing he brought up about how – this is kind of taking us in a different direction here. But how kind of annoying it was to him that like that, that, that you know, comedians kind of have this thing or comedic actors kind of have this thing where you're funny – but then, then you got to start doing serious movies and drama and stuff like that to really prove something. And he sort of says, as a com comedian and as a, a person who's made an entire career out of comedy, 
that he kind of finds that kind of annoying and he kind of feels like, why? Why should I, why should Conan O'Brien suddenly go off and make a dramatic film? You know what I mean? So I, it was interesting watching it in this context because you, like you say, most people objectively know Tom Hanks by, uh, I don't know, mid nineties, I guess. I don't know whenever, yeah. you know, they, whenever they found Tom Hanks, yeah. but the rest of us know him as, It'd be the same as saying you, you only know the Jim Carrey serious movies. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like yeah. if you don't know Dumber, you don't know Ace Ventura, you only know, I, you know, I can't even quite place them, but the, the, those other films. And, that, and there's so many. Robin Williams is a perfect example of that. I mean, Robin, and I'm not to say that, you know, you know that obviously Robin, Dead Poet Society and all those films are all fantastic. But, um, you know, it's interesting to think that if Tom decided today to do a straight up wacky movie, I would be very curious to know how that would, how that would play out. You know what I mean? Like if he would have the, if he would, if he would dig that, right? I, I, I think he's so naturally good at that, that I think it would win no matter what. But I think he's, I mean, he's an Oscar award winning, multiple Oscar award winning actor now. So he doesn't need to go and make, I don't know, like, you know, teenage shenanigans movies obviously but you bring up a great point and i i relate that point to music especially what you and i do which is play rock music which sometimes you know in the critics world gets looked down upon as lowbrow and i think rock and roll music is just as hard or complicated if not more so than you know like some sort of critically acclaimed indie rock uh singer songwriter thing I, i i liken you know, comedies like Bachelor Party, where you're right, or Conan O'Brien's right, that comedies, I've heard this said many times, harder than dr- drama, dramatic uh, acting. Yeah, so, I would agree. You know, and I, 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 agree, I think that, you know, heavy metal and rock and roll, um, harder to play, uh, arguably, than, you know, punk rock or indie rock or some of these other popular forms of, of music. And, and so I get very defensive when, you know, People don't take a movie like Bachelor Party as seriously as, you know, Philadelphia Story or Castaway. Um, I go, well, every everything, every essence of Tom Hanks as an actor is there. Uh, Spice, yeah. Spice Time is there. Even when, you know, like when he's trying to be cool with, when he gets caught kind of by Tony Katane at the party and he's trying to be serious with her. Or when he's trying to be funny with his brother in the doctor's office. All that stuff, you can't. Yeah. You can't not not any dramatic act. Not every dramatic actor can pull that off. Well, it's true to be. It, I think it's it's. There are a lot of examples of of comedic actors who can play drama. Probably more examples of that than than serious actors can do. Can can make people laugh. You know, what I mean, it's just it's it's uh it, it's it doesn't always translate. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of the interesting thing is is making people laugh is fucking hard. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like. And keeping people entertained and laughing for ninety minutes is, is is challenging, whether it's on stage or whether it's in a film. But uh, um, but I think that you know, obviously, uh, you know, a guy like Tom, you know, again, he doesn't need career advice from us. But I think that you know, he's he's managed to spin it because of, because of his likability has managed to spin that into uh, that likability in, in Forrest Gump and in in Philadelphia and in. Uh, even Saving Private Ryan, I'm sure if I sat down and watched it right now, I haven't seen it in a minute, and I wouldn't hardly call it, you know, light or funny, but I'm sure 
sure there's elements about his character that still carries over many aspects of, of that character. You know what I mean? Of that character that I think think is is a piece of who he is. You know what I mean? So, you know, I think we all have to be careful with, the, with you know, being taken too seriously. I think it's always important to to take what you do seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. Otherwise, you run into the problems of, you know, being Kiss is a perfectly amazing band and they don't need to do things like The Elder. And when you start to, you know, worry about what people think, you start making things like The Elder. You know what I mean? That's, And I think that they regret ever kind of falling under that kind of like pressure of like you need to, you know, it's all great and good that you, you guys are selling gazillions of records, but the critics don't take you seriously. It's kind of, well, fuck the critics. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. I, I agree 100%. I mean, uh, and just like you say, like comedic actors can do drama. Dramatic actors can't – not everyone can necessarily do comedy. Um, and the same I think goes for you know hard rock and heavy metal. Like hard rockers and heavy metalers – headbangers can do singer-songwriter stuff. But can singer-songwriters do you know Iron Maiden or Kiss? I don't know. That's an interesting – you know what? We should probably start that experiment. Call all our singer-songwriter friends and make them play metal and we'll start playing. <laughs> like, make these like crossover type things. That'd be like a whole other oh, sub-genre, you know what I mean? Yeah, I would. I challenge. <laughs> uh, the challenge is... is, is <laughs> so yeah, that, that's why I get really defensive when you know people don't take... Yeah, you said that Tom Hanks is an uh, Oscar uh, award-winning actor, but he got it for these dramatic movies but in my world he would get it for bachelor party <laughs> you know? I, i'd be very curious I mean, i'm kind of like of the mindset like guys like tom hanks you know everybody starts somewhere and i think that you know there are sometimes undeniable moments when you see a performer or an actor or even seeing like you know you've, we've all seen a band playing in an empty club and gone like these guys are these guys are the shit. Like how, how is nobody here? You know I mean? yeah, and, yeah. and they often, you know, it's often proven, uh, in the bigger picture because bands like that go on to do something or, or, or one of the people in that band or whatever has something. But, um, you know, I think the fact that Tom, you know, starting, uh, in, in smaller films like that. And in, I mean, he was probably already on his way anyway, because obviously being the main actor or the, the lead actor in a film, um, I don't know what the budget is on a film like that, but there was a, a catering budget and makeup and you know, like there's a whole thing involved in putting a film together like that. And somebody thought we're going to put that kid, Tom Hanks in the lead position and carry this entire, this entire thing. You know, it's like, so the fact that that, you know, then, then all of a sudden he's guest appearing in this show and that show and that show. And then all of a sudden splash and, and then he's off and running. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, but that is interesting because I, I remember reading through his thing and there, there was a number of what they would consider flops that he had had somewhere in a, in a, in a, in a, in a little moment there, there was a slight valley in his career of, I can't even quite think of what the films were, but there were a couple of like missteps that happened. Mm -hmm. And then he started to kind of, and then I think he started to kind of like build himself back up. There was films like the burbs and all that, that didn't quite, performed what Hollywood would consider, you know, what he should be performing at. And I think there was probably a reinvention that happened. And maybe he even, maybe even then was when he started to kind of become more focused on, on dramatic acting than, uh, wacky shenanigan acting. Yeah. He became I, like wait. the, the romance guy for a while, sleepless in Seattle and you got mail and all that. 
Sure, yeah. Well, then those were massively successful. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and again, if we went back and watched, I haven't seen those in a thousand years either. I don't even know if they weren't really of my my kind of choice of film anyway. But if we were to go watch those right now, we'd be like, well, of course. Look at how charming he is. Look at how funny he is. He's like, you know, that's that same character. He's just kind of playing a different angle on the same. It's just how likable he is as as a guy. And I think that play. As Rick, I can't remember his last name. Something Gasco. kind of Greek sounding. Gasco. Gasco. Yeah. <laughs> On uh, Bachelor Party. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because he almost wasn't the guy in this movie doing some research. Uh, there was four other guys mentioned that were up for this really? role. Yeah, it, uh, Jim Carrey, Howie Mandel, Tim Robbins, but ultimately Paul Reiser got the gig. And it wasn't hmm. Tiny Katane, it was Kelly McGillis from Top Gun. No way. So it was Paul Reiser oh. and Kelly McGillis. The only thing That's, a, whole film. That's yeah. a different movie. There. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally different film, but there was no chemistry between the two of them. So, and then uh, they said that Kelly McGillis, mind you, this is two years before Top Gun, wasn't pretty enough for the role, so they recast Tawny Katane in the role. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, sure. Uh, I think I, they did the right – for both roles, it was perfect what ended up happening. Sure. I mean, you know, it's like I can't imagine Jim Reiser being in 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 that film. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, he's clearly has a whole other kind of likability and, and things about him. But, yeah, I can't imagine that. But, you know, these things change so much. You know, I, I bet you the script itself – gets massaged and, and mm. things get kind of moved along. And then guys like Hank come in and make it his own. And, and like you say, that whole scene in the kitchen where he's just kind of like doing his own thing. That's, that's a totally different thing when you're, when you're, when it's Paul Reiser in the kitchen, you know, it's a whole other, I, I it might, might've been equally funny in a different way, but it, it certainly wouldn't have been the same at all. No, no, I can't, I can't picture Paul Reiser doing spice time. <laughs> <laughs> no, Spice Time would have been lost. That would have, you you would have lost that. You, I remember, I do remember like Tiny Katane uh, and and Tom Hanks together, and and thinking, man, there is no way in real life Tawny Katane would fall for Tom Hanks. No way. And then <laughs> I found out, I found out she was Robin Crosby's ex girlfriend. I go, that's the dude. She, <laughs> that's the dude. Yeah. She would fall for. You know what I mean? Was, was like nine feet tall and yeah. giant hair, and he was in a, a huge rock band at the time. Yeah, yeah, so that all makes perfect sense, you know. I think um, it was. But uh, that's it. Sorry, sorry. Guys, guys like Tom. I mean, in retrospect, I'm only you know. I just think that you always see it. You always see like a very beautiful woman with a very normal guy. It's because they've you know that she's tried to be with some handsome jackass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they ended up being, you know what, maybe I just go with the, this nice normal guy who doesn't seem to be, you know, so broken or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, we don't know. I mean, I know they were quite young. They're to be portrayed quite young in that film. But, uh, you know, we don't know what the backstory is on Tawny Katane's character. And um, clearly she was with that, that Cole dude, which we haven't even mentioned yet. Her <laughs> yeah. Total like, you know, the classic – I, whenever I think of 80s films, they're always – I always make fun of myself because my name is Todd. I always say Todd is the kind of name 
that um, James, a character James Spader would play in a John Hughes film, you know, <laughs> like in like uh, or like his character in Less Than Zero or something like that is always named Tom. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's what this Cole character kind of represents this sort of like he's so hung up on his fucking Porsche. And you're like, dude, let it go. And I remember as a kid being like when they when they they the whole gag is they stole his car and then rotted it out with these flames and stuff on it. And I remember as a kid going, wow, it looks way cooler. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does have a James Spader look about him, too. He does, Certainly the 80s James Spader. I mean, yeah. James Spader is sort of an interesting uh, evolution of becoming who modern-day James Spader is. Right. But yeah, right. that take on that sort of blonde – well, I got a hand at Spader because Spader always had something dangerous about him, like even in his sort of like blonde – Sometimes a, like a uh, Miami Vice type pastel colored suit kind of vibe, but there was still something mildly dangerous about uh, James. This Cole dude from uh, Bachelor Party was just fully unlikable, <laughs> you know, by design. Yeah, and, and and sort of stays that way right to the end of the film. First acting gig for no what? Yeah, Robert Prescott, his first acting gig. Well, I got to hand it to him because he really like I know that what they were going for. He 100% achieved. He was just, you know, he played that character. And I believe that if I ran into that guy in the street today, I'd be like, I would assume he's uh, very rich and drives a Porsche and plays tennis. You know, that's kind of exactly who I assume he was. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely those kinds of characters are still kicking around. It's certainly back in those days. In the yeah. 80s, films, that character because we were always sort of like we connect with that guy who's wearing the Chuck Chuck Taylor yes. running shoes and the torn up sweatshirt and kind of doesn't care about, you know, all this other stuff like what kind of car you drive or what kind of watch he has. And then there was always that character who represented all the things I just mentioned. And he's kind of like, you know, probably basically the guy sitting there writing this script is like you know, has a tough time with the ladies, <laughs> has a tough time getting the girl and, and getting the big gold medal, but, and, and sort of treats anybody who's gotten the girl and has the gold medal as sort of the, uh, the, uh, protagonist in, in, in his story. So that's the way the scripts turn, turn out. Yeah. And I can totally identify with Rick or Tom Hanks's character, uh, getting Tawny Katane. Like I would, I would live vicariously through Rick because he was able to get a girl like Tawny Katane. Well, it's it's not unlike you know Billy Madison in this in the case that Billy Madison's character uh, that's a totally different kind of thing, but he's a a lunatic. You know, I mean, Adam's character in that film is like he's like certifiable. You're like you just like, and yet he manages to to get the girl. You know, what I mean, like yeah. so you can't help but go like, wow, there you go. It's like we all we all relate to this this sort of like complete misfit. Who in you know in there's no way he exists he could even like manage in normal society, but he happens to come from a very wealthy background, so they they kind of get rid of all those questions right away. How could Billy Madison possibly survive in in normal society? Well, he's got this unlimited amount of money behind him. Oh, okay. okay. End of yeah. <laughs> Where Rick doesn't have that. Rick Rick is a regular dude, from what I understand. I, I mean, he's just basically drives drives a bus for a for a Catholic school and, and just happens to have been charming enough to have bagged this, uh, you know, total catch 
of a beautiful, you know, daughter from a very wealthy family. Yeah, uh, something that wasn't explored fully is before Spice Time and before Tani uh, comes home, he is like working on some sort of art piece. Like he's some sort of he's working on some sculptures or or some yeah, sort like of, a metal sculpture of some sort. Or yeah, something. so he's an artist, I guess. You know, and the bus thing is just pays the bills. That's his day gig. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, I never really thought about that. Of course, I, I you know, it was always sort of like, yeah, he's a, some sort of artist, but I never really thought about the fact that, yeah. So he definitely portrays that, you know, that side of all of us as a musician and everything else. And yeah. He's kind of like, hey, we can get the girl. Yeah. We can, you know, do just fine. I, of course, they have to put that in at the end. He's got the tuxedo on, but he's still wearing the Chuck Taylors. Yeah. He didn't, really, he didn't completely commit. Exactly. I, also, I, I will say that one of the best parts of, well, right off the top, the movie opens with the main character uh, hitting on a nun. <laughs> That's how the yeah. movie starts. Yeah, he picks up the kids and he immediately has like uh, <laughs> disarming comments to the – it's not like he's actually hitting on a nun, but he's sort of like charming his way around the situation of, of, yeah. of his being yeah. late, I assume, is what it was. I can't remember what it yeah, was. Yeah, he was, he was late again. And you can tell she's she's used to him you know, talking like this to her. To, to, yeah, just kind of – just kind of rolls her eyes and like <laughs> off he goes. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. And the kids all love him, you know, as you know, that's, you know, cause he's that kind of guy. He's that kind of character that yeah. everybody would yeah. love, you know? Yeah. But it yeah. really is funny. Cause I don't even know where, like I often sort of watch a film like that and go, now where is the, um, the prototype of this kind of movie? Like, cause I think about when I say Billy Madison and stuff like that, I think in a lot of ways, films like that actually come from bachelor, bachelor party and stuff bachelor. like that. And I kind of go, well, well, and I think of Porky's and I think of uh, a lot of those kind of like 80s shenanigans kind of raunchy movies. And I'm like, where was where was the nucleus of that? Like, I know it obviously Uh, from a a lifetime of other, you know, other shenanigan comedies. But this sort of like Animal House. Was it Animal House? I have to think that Animal House probably may have been the epicenter to some degree of that kind of film. But I mean, uh, obviously, Animal House is infinitely more. I was going to say highbrow, but I don't think that's the right word. It's you know, it has that sort of National Lampoon's yeah. Harvard writer vibe. <laughs> oh yeah, you know? as opposed to uh, Nick the know. Dick. Nick the Dick. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that whole interaction. <laughs> the actual like Chippendales, as it was going by, go I was as it, you know because the, the the girls the the bachelorette party ends up at a Chippendales, and I was like. Chippen back in 84. I don't even remember. Yeah. I guess it must have been. You know, it's like, well, here we go. It's a history lesson on, on <laughs> right. Chippen. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that, actually, that whole thing is funny too because not only is the cast of characters that we, you know, we kind of stepped off of that, Tom Hanks's cast of characters that are his friends are such a mis- this crazy mismatch of characters. One guy, one guy's perpetually suicidal because of his wife and his marriage is, is all sideways. And, uh, and, and then all those other guys, but then there's like, um, then the, then the Tawny Katane's whole crew is like a cousin who's really bitter about men. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's great. Her sister-in-law is there. Um, her mother is there who is kind of younger. Didn't you find that there was a huge, like, the other one I was going to c- connect this to was was also Caddyshack because the father, right. 
Connie Katane's father has this huge, like, Judge Smales junior vibe about him like he's kind of like the poor man's ted knight yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely every time i kept every time he come on screen i kept thinking like the, if ted knight was doing this he would like he, he would he would totally eat this up but nothing against the guy who plays the, the stepfather i think he's perfectly fine but uh it has this sort of like i guess caddyshack has a certain amount of that sort of shenanigan teen vibe as well yeah again also for National Lampoons, I believe. Is that a National Lampoons? I think you are right. I think you're right about Caddyshack. With the, with, you know, with the Bill Murray and the Brian Doyle Murray and Chevy Chase. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think it might be. If it's not National Lampoons, it's National Lampoons adjacent. Right. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Whatever you call that. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, where where Bachelor Party is is to me kind of more has that. Uh, uh, yeah, I keep going back to Porky's. I think Porky's was Canadian, wasn't it? Yeah, it was uh, at least a Canadian production with Canadian a lot of Canadian actors. I haven't seen that since I was you know, <laughs> of the demographic of Porky's. Yeah, viewing, you know. one, two, and three. As you know, we've all seen it multiple times. That's hilarious. The the fact that there's three of them. God bless. <laughs> Porky's Revenge, wasn't there? Yeah, that was the third one, wasn't it? Or second? Or yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, they didn't do as many as so like you know Friday the Thirteenth or anything like that. But they did they did take a a stab at the uh, franchise for sure. Well, there was a two thousand and eight uh, bachelor party movie made, and they were going to do a remake, but then they turned it into a sequel to this movie. I've never seen that because I don't that want two thousand and eight. Yeah, I I don't want. I don't want to taint, you know, what what I remember of the original. It's got to be a complete, completely different story, I assume. Well, I mean, you know, the title of the movie really sets the whole synopsis of the movie, but I've not seen it, so I, I can't really comment on it. Just, just basically Bachelor Party 2, or what do they call it? Uh, I think it's called Bachelor Party. Okay. I, I don't even think they put a 2 at the end of it. Hmm. Well, there you go. Well, I, I mean, I imagine it's like perhaps it's what we would consider a reboot or a remake, I guess. Well, they I wanted know. to do a remake. Oh, it's called Bachelor Party 2, The Last Temptation. And that came out in 2008? Straight to DVD. Of course it did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anybody of note in it? Are you looking at it right now? Uh, I'm, okay, I'll go to the IMDb here. I, no, no one really jumps out. Uh, oh, Harlan Williams. <laughs> Harlan Williams is in it. Um, yep, yep, you're right. And but I don't, I don't really recognize anyone else. So, hmm. Sarah Foster. Oh, Sarah Foster's in it. Okay, yeah. Also half Canadian. Who's, <laughs> oh, I didn't know. I didn't realize she was half. I always thought she was. There you go. Or David Foster's daughter isn't I don't know maybe she's oh there you go yeah I don't know is that a Canadian production or something why is it so I'm suspicious about it why is it so I don't know but Neil Israel was the writer who was also the producer of the original Bachelor and the movie. director too wasn't he Neil Israel I, uh, yeah uh, sorry yeah the uh, original director yeah he was the writer of this uh, Bachelor Party too. Wow, what's what did he do for the uh, twenty plus years in between? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. I, 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 that's that's 
Google worthy, I guess. I'm yeah. very curious. I'm sure he had a whole other career. I'm not, I'm just not aware of. But uh, oh yeah, I'm yeah. sure he did a lot. Uh, yeah, who knows? Yeah, but uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much. Uh, I couldn't. I can't believe we've done a whole episode on bachelor party talk. <laughs> hey man, I'm your man. Whenever you want to talk about something like completely nonsensical, it's so funny because I was just saying to my wife, I go, I probably have to be careful what I what I. Uh, dare Danko to make a make a podcast about because he will. Oh and yeah. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. And now it's going to be like you, I know you're going to go after you do this. You're going to go and you're going to be sitting in for one quiet moment during this whole pandemic, and you're going to be thinking to yourself, I think there's probably an audience out there for a hot dog podcast. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm going to get the call. I'm like, okay, well, I got to sit down and watch a hot dog. <laughs> got to find hot. Well. Um, <laughs> Well, the one thing I was banking on was if this, if our chat kind of runs out of steam after 15 minutes, we can just talk about Tanya Katane for like another 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, of course. She, remember, she was married to David Coverdale for a exactly, minute. Exactly, yeah. A but whole I, chapter of that. And I think she was married to uh, the ba- ba- baseball player. That's right, yeah. 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 That was all, that was all, went all sideways, I don't know. But yeah, it's it's fascinating. Oh, she was also in a in a... A reboot of WKRP. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I believe Michael DeBar was in that as well. Oh, Michael DeBar. Oh man, awesome. God among men. Yeah. Um, that's actually a whole other. There's a whole other podcast. But yeah, she. I believe there was a. a I think it's like the new WKRP or something like that. They did a reboot at one point. Of, I think it did like one season, but it was. Uh, I have to they, find that. Yeah, they attempted to do one to reboot it somehow. I don't even know who the hell was in it. Right. I mean, nothing can compare to that first uh, incarnation, anyway. Really. <laughs> well, Todd, uh, thank you for the chat, man. It took me out of this whole crisis for a little bit. I know, I know. I, I, I really appreciate you. I feel the same way. It's like, well, you know what? It's like anything to kind of distract ourselves from. Mm-hmm hour or two is is hopefully we've done the same for anybody listening to this because it's uh such a wacky time isn't it it is and uh yeah we're all going through it together and you know we just gotta get through it and that's also why i jumped on you know the idea of talking about bachelor party with you is because it's just so wacky that it could probably take us out of our reality full 100 percent for for even an hour you know well, I suppose that was the whole nature of a film like that in the first place. When you consider in the 80s with the whole, I don't know, like nuclear warfare fear and all that kind of stuff going on, there needed to be hijinks movies and there needed yeah. to be yeah. distraction, you know, entertainment. You know, I, you know, even like now, I'm sure there's people who would you would get upset if you're trying to be too distracting from but th- things are so serious. You know, you're like, God, you know, you got to kind of have to find rock and roll and films and, and comedy and and TV and things like that to distract you from, you know, otherwise you'd just be sort of like, you know, it just gets too, life is heavy enough. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah. Especially yeah. These. For, for your mental health, you know, just yeah. your daily mental health, it's good. Yep, absolutely. So I hope that, you know, hopefully that, you know, us just talking about it and people listening to it, hopefully it's distracting enough for them too. 